Two questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty. Thank you for listening to Restoring the Soul. I'm not going to have to go very far on a limb here to say that you're probably like me and have the toughest time concentrating and focusing while you pray. You know, sometimes I'll literally shake the distractions off like I'm trying to dry my freshly washed hands. My deepest desire is to connect with the Father in prayer. That purpose will never change. And the same is true for centering prayer. It's the posture of our heart that allows us to manifest what's already true inside of us. In Christ, there's union with God. On today's podcast, our host, Michael John Cusick, is continuing his conversation about centering prayer. And on this episode, he'll be speaking with Peter Zaremba about the benefits of centering prayer, or prayer that allows you to rest deeply in God. You'll want to pay close attention to this discussion, even encourage you to take some good notes from their conversation. You know, that's just one of the amazing benefits of a podcast. It's always available to go back to, get a refresher, and then even pass it along to someone who needs to be encouraged by the message. And one of the things I would challenge you to do today would be to return to our previous episode about centering and contemplative prayer, and then listen to both of them back to back. Now, without any further delay, here's your host, Michael John Cusick. Welcome back to another episode of Restoring the Soul podcast. I am high on the fourth floor of the Academy Center overlooking Eeny Meeny Sushi, Denny's, and Old Chicago Pizza. And today I am back with my friend of 35 years, Peter Zaremba, who is fresh in from New York City, before we head down to the Surfing for God weekend intensive. Uh, you might have listened to the previous episode where Peter and Brad Jursak and myself sat down and wandered all over the map about contemplation and centering prayer. And this conversation is going to be about the benefits of centering prayer. So, Peter Z, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I came from Boston, but it doesn't matter. Uh, that's right. You uh, you just flew in from uh, Boston. <laughs> I did. Sorry, that was a terrible JFK impression. It was fine. Hey, um, benefits of centering prayer. You touched mm. on this a little bit in the last episode, but... You basically talked about how you went from being an angry jerk who was controlling to uh, just this perfectly peaceful Zen person, which is is not true. If people knew you, you can be an intense personality. You have a big personality. Um, You're a three on the Enneagram. You're at least once were a type A. So just start us out with the impact of Centering Prayer and how it has worked in your life. Yeah, let me well, let me first say in terms of motivation, um, you know, like Cynthia Berjolt would uh, uh, was very clear that you know we our practice of centering prayer isn't motivated by a desire for self help or self improvement or even self development. That uh, you know the the desire is for us to connect uh, to connect with God and to put ourselves in a position that offers the least resistance to encounter His love, um, and. Uh, 
if you stay with the practice and it is practice i mean it, it just is I, I said in the last session you know richard Rohr calls it 20 minutes of failure and i i really resonate with that that's not to be negative it's just to say it's not a practice you ever do properly and there's um, nobody in the world including richard Rohr or thomas keating who has this 20 minute you know zen focused kind of thing that's actually a different experience of meditation correct this is about being present to whatever is there correct and and i'll say this i would say nine times out of ten when i finish a 20 minute set there's not a euphoric feeling there's not any necessary reinforcement other than that i was faithful to uh, my desire to uh, put myself in that position. But but in terms of benefits, I think for decades, when my life uh, was was had some very destructive patterns of, of, uh, of addiction and um, uh, when I was, and I spoke about in the last session, a colleague telling me that I was the angriest, most controlling person he'd ever been with. Um, but uh, for debt, during all those years, I would, you know, I had my daily devotional. I would read the scriptures every day. I was in the scriptures almost, I would say, like invariably every day, or maybe I'd miss a day here and there. I would have prayer. I would journal. Um, and yet I think in those times, as I go back and read some of those journals, I was encountering myself over and over and over again. The beauty of this practice is that it gives the opportunity to encounter the otherness of God and um, to break that, where instead of projecting my own uh, desires and wants and outcomes in life onto my spiritual walk, and then somehow you know convincing God to bless that and to make that happen, that's called prayer. Uh, to being with my hands, uh, taking a position of just having my hands open, and that it's encounter for the sake of encounter, and that somehow when that encounter happens and it's not scripted and it, and it's never what I expect. I just, uh, I, I slowly begin to life becomes more spacious. I become more spacious. Uh, I'm more attuned to beauty and goodness and truth and it's everywhere. And so, um, that's, that's not to, (laughs) it's not to sugarcoat life. There's still great difficulties. I still struggle deeply with anxiety. Um, and, and uh, you know, this past year we went through a, a business uh, situation where, uh, you know, it, it was devastatingly anxious for me. Uh, but that meditative practice was a way to somehow cope with that. This can sound cliche, but uh, that it was a way to be grounded and centered, to have a reference point in your yeah. being. Uh, I speak of our center as our spiritual, emotional, physical reference point for you know, the core of who we are. And mm. in the midst of all of that, this practice gives you the ability to connect with that. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I want to come back to what you said. Uh, you quoted Cynthia Bergeol, who's, of course, uh, one of the definitive experts in Centering Prayer. She's written a couple of different books on it. Um, and you said that we don't begin uh, out of a place of, you know, wanting to be therapeutic or to have benefits. But there are people uh, that go into drug and alcohol treatment because, you know, their liver is going to shut down and not because they mm. love their spouse or think they need to start stop drinking. Um, and that might be a silly analogy, but I really started Centering Prayer for two reasons. Uh, one is I was disillusioned with the kind of Christianity that I had been experiencing. 
Um, I share the story in Surfing for God, but I was at a, a church one day, Bay Presbyterian, where mm-hmm. you went and I went back in Ohio in the 80s. And um, I remember singing a worship song, and I, I, I was addicted, and I had a double life, and I said, God, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I don't think I want to be one. And it wasn't an angry prayer. It was, is this all there is? You know, mm. what about the abundant life? I've done everything that I know how. And it was seven or eight years later when I moved out to Colorado, uh, I discovered the uh, the Contemplative Center here where I was doing graduate work uh, at University of Denver. And it was something I was really drawn to, but I couldn't do it. Mm. So I, I stepped into it for quote, therapeutic reasons, because um, I was experiencing, once my addictions were away, a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And between the disillusionment with my faith and the anxiety, um, people told me, hey, you should should try this. You know, it can kind of help you. So I I agree that you get married because of love and not tax benefits. Mm -hmm. But there are benefits to being married. And in the same way, there's benefits to uh, centering prayer. Having said that, You've already touched on this idea uh, between your life of anxiety and addiction and things like that and how that didn't connect with what you believed. You sincerely believed those things, but it was like they were at two ends of a continuum. So if we talk about the benefits of centering prayer for uh, fives on the Enneagram or ones— who are perfectionists, you're probably making a PowerPoint slide right now Mm. with Roman numerals. And Roman numeral one (laughs) would be that centering prayer can help close the gap between belief and experience. Mm. And and, um, forgive what will sound like an old fart, you know, statement, but I think one of the reasons why so many young people are walking away from the church today is that there's this massive disconnect between what they have been told to believe what they once did believe, and what they actually experienced. Yeah. And um, we will not be able to continue beliefs if we don't experience them as real. And there's a huge difference between believing something is true and experiencing it as real. That's very true. That's I- incredibly true. I, you know, it's interesting, um, I, and I can only say this now, but you know, all my life I had this gnawing sense, and I never put words to it, but I had this belief that there has to be a way to, because I wasn't, I was so out of touch with experiencing it. There has to be a way to live life in a way where I, I, I am not so constantly constrained with feeling, uh, feeling the pressure of life, the anxiety of it, the, the need to perform, to conquer. Um, I, I just had to believe there was a way to somehow walk through life being connected to God in a way that made a, a practical difference. I would say that if there, if there has been a benefit, um, to a contemplative practice, it's that it's not that I've realized it. I have arrived now here, here I am. And again, you know, I don't teach centering prayer. I'm just a practitioner. We're having a conversation, but you know, there has been a sense where, um, for the first time in my life, uh, I can be present when I am somewhere, when I'm on a sales call, when I'm out to dinner with some friends, uh, when I go fishing uh, with my stepson and daughter, um, I can be there. I don't need to worry about checking into the flight. I don't need to worry about what I go back home to. I can be present in the moment and that the moment has everything I need. And I think that that is you know, one of the beauties of, of, uh, 
of Centering Prayer is that it teaches us that ev- everything we need is in the present moment. It's, it's the, the present moment carries, you know, carries God in it in a way that is everything we long for. And to, to use that familiar passage that the Apostle Paul spoke of, uh, that his grace is sufficient and can only be sufficient in the present. Hmm. Um, yeah. I like to refer to the present or this journey of becoming present and learning that is um, a journey from then to now. And the then can be in the past or the then can be in the future. Yeah. Um, but the now, as we talk about that, you know, you being in the river fly fishing with your kids, that's not something you write at the top of your to-do list and say, today I'm going to be present. It's really something that has to be cultivated, like saying you're going to run a marathon uh, if you're on the couch and have a hard time getting up because your knees creak, you can't just go out and run a marathon. So the practice of centering prayer, speaking as a benefit, is something that helps you to be present in that moment, to experience that moment, and it's in that moment where we have everything we need. Agreed. Agreed. Now, I would also say a surprising you know, observation has been um, how many I would call them, you know, these, you know, these coincidental encounters you have with people where you're willing to ask someone their name, something of their story, you know, and, and, um, you know, as, as young life leaders, we always say, you know, oh, you know, we, we're going to, you know, we, we know how to initiate relationship. We know how to ask questions, but it was all just, you know, a, a lot of that for me was technique and it was to get them to come to our thing or to, to somehow, you know, you know, by asking them about, you know, asking a high school kid about their, their volleyball team was, that was a way of showing expression God's love. But when, when, uh, and I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that I think a contemplative, my contemplative practice has allowed me to be genuinely curious, uh, of who's ever kind of in my path, um, and not to script it and not to pick who that is. Uh, there's just a freedom there. Again, I, I keep going back to the word spacious. Life is just bigger. God is much bigger than I ever imagined. In the present moment, uh, you're able to tune in to what's actually there in the moment. Right. Um, and we speak of, you know, seeing God work or, you know, really being aware of his presence. And we use a lot of euphemisms that I don't think are theologically true, but like, oh, God really showed up, you know, and, and, and God didn't show up. God has always been there. And we tune into and become aware of that presence. But again, it's not in the past. It's not in the future. It's not in yesterday. It's not in tomorrow. It's, it's in this present moment. And I think there's a, a wonderful, a picture of Jesus all throughout the Gospels, to read the Gospels with this lens of how Jesus relates to people, how he relates to the Father, that there's this sense where he's just there in mm. his own life. I want to read a, a scripture passage that some of our listeners will be familiar with. Uh, it's Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Uh, the traditional passage is, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You grew up in New York, I grew up in Cleveland, I didn't know what a yoke was other than something that you get on a plate at a diner. But I love Eugene Peterson's um, translation in the message of Matthew 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. 
Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And I, I looked that up on my phone because, as you were talking about, you always believed this notion that there was a way to live in God and to experience God. And, you know, John 10.10, 10, that I've come to give the abundant life. And so much of my Christian life was like, well, if this is abundance, then, you know, right. drugs are better. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And I'm not trying if to be— If it's so abundant, why do I need to supplement it with yeah, everything? Exactly. And I'm not trying to be flippant. Um, so this passage is Jesus is saying, here's the way. You know, he is the master teacher. He is the smartest person in the universe. He is the most generous person in the universe. And and he really just invites us into relationship to be with him so that we get our heart back and we get our being back and mm-hmm. so that we can live in this unity and union with him. I love that. I Yeah, I I, I, uh, it's funny. I think we talked about this the last time we were together, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm in, I'm a, a member of a, a Roman Catholic church, but you know, the, the, uh, I'm, I'm done defending those groups. I just really am. I'm, I'm done, um, selling and defending, uh, religion as a belief system and religion as a belonging system. What I am falling back into, which to me is much more powerful uh, and feels much more healthy is I want to, uh, I want to grow in relating to God and to people the way Jesus did uh, all about relationship, all about how he oh, constantly went where the suffering, where the pain was, uh, his intimacy, uh, with his father. Um, and that captivates me, that draws me. Um, so, so that's kind of how I describe you know, I mean, again, yes, sure, I'll take the title Christian and Catholic, but I, I merely want to relate to God and others. And I know you well enough to know that you're not merely talking about emulating Jesus. Like uh, like an atheist could, and I think there was a book about this one time, take the Gospels and try to do everything in them. And and actually, this is opens up a whole can of worms, but Gandhi tried to live a, by the teachings of Jesus. And so— you're saying that by loving people out of that place, it's out of an overflow in you. Mm-hmm. It's not just that you read a behavioral description and that you're trying to do that for people, but there's a union with God where you're in Christ, Christ is in you, and the passion and your desire is to live out of that place and be that. Correct. As you relate to people, whether you're doing a sales call or running your business or whatever. Agreed. Agreed. I do. Let's move on because I, I want to get to these other benefits. Another one is um, this idea that we touched on in the previous episode as well. Centering prayer allows you to practice the presence of God. And I've talked with so many people over the years about, oh, yeah, I read this book or I heard this idea of practicing the presence of God. Why is it so difficult? And I say, one, because it's difficult. And two, how present do you feel inside of your own life? How present do you feel to yourself? And they'll sometimes look like a, you know, like I just asked them, you know, to speak Mandarin or something, and they're confused. And and I say, how connected are you to your body right now? Close your eyes. Scan from your head to your toes. You know, wh- what do you notice? What do you observe? Oh, okay, that's what you mean. Um, are you present in your own body? Are you connected to your emotions? Are you so focused on what you have to do in the next minute or day or month 
um, it, it might be me with my cell phone and having a conversation with my daughter, but I really want to check that email that I heard mm. just blink. Um, so if I can begin to be present to myself inside of my own life, then I'll be able to be present to and practice the presence of God who is already present. Um, and it seems counterintuitive, you know, like, oh, we shouldn't put ourselves first. But um, it, it, it's it's something that centering prayer really allows us to do. That's true. I'm so glad you mentioned the email because uh, now I'm obsessing about that. So Yeah. So. Well, before you are obsessing about it, I actually heard my email and I'm not li- really listening to you. Hey, number three, um, and this is really practical. I hate to shamelessly keep promoting my book because I think I did that in the last. You have episode. a book? Yes, I, it's it's called the Cat in the Hat. No, it's. Uh, I can it's, tell you. You know, I have. I have. So, so you know, um, eight years ago, last month, uh, you invited me out to a transformational men's weekend, and you know that cracked me open in a way that brought intense healing in my life. And I got so I've been a part of a number of uh, transformative men's communities, and um, I can't tell you how many men I've bought your book for, and what a gift that's been in their life. And so I know you don't need to hear that, and but I just. I, I don't know of anything that's got as much grace and practical help and a message that most men aren't hearing, which the most of the message is God is disgusted with your sexual compulsions and try harder instead of go beneath your uh, sexual compulsion and what's the God-given desire. Right. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And the reason why I brought up the book uh, is because one of the parts of the path to move forward from any compulsion or addiction is learning to be still. And I almost didn't include the chapter on centering prayer called Less is More, because for listeners that have not checked this out, it will be fun to do. There are entire websites from um, pastors, theologians, Bible teachers, and probably just everyday Christians that are anti-centering prayer that say that any kind of contemplation is new age, Mm. that it is a mysticism that is not biblical. And again, I would just bring them back to the practices and rhythms of Jesus, and not just to Psalm 4610 that says, be still and know that I'm God, but the entire context of that psalm. I would also have people look at the entire book of Psalms, and I would have people look at church history. That's true. Uh, step 11 in the, the 12 steps, right? I, mean, I know I'm going to mangle it, but, you know, we, we uh, sought through prayer to deepen our conscious contact with God. Uh, exactly. As we understood him and seeking only to know his will and the power to live it. I, and forgive me if I got the verbiage wrong there, but, I, you know, it's... Um, so there's emerging research about contemplative practices. It's not done specifically with centering prayer as Thomas Keating and Cynthia Bourjol have um, described it in that particular practice with four guidelines, but with meditative practices, with practices of stillness and silence and solitude, there is emerging research about how the brain is being rewired, how our reflex is becoming positivity and kindness and the fruit of the spirit, as opposed to a reflex of defensiveness, reactivity, irritability, and things like that. And there's an interesting little book called How God Changes Your Brain that was written about seven years ago. And it's written by an uh, atheist uh, 
physician and an agnostic journalist, mm. interestingly. And who better to write a book on how God changes your brain, they said. And, uh, and, and they, they talked about how if you looked at what they described as healthy religion, which was non-rigid, non-dogmatic, that people that practiced meditative, silent um, experiences, rituals, and practices, that they were exponentially more likely to report levels of joy and peace and compassion in uh, their lives. Uh, you know, Philippians 4, Paul says that whatever is pure and lovely and excellent and admirable, uh, think about those things. And so what we give our attention to will actually begin to rewire our brain. And, and I don't mean that if you just stuff enough scripture mm-hmm. inside of you that you'll be transformed, but that ability to be still allows like a beach ball that's been pushed under the water it allows what's internal the 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 presence of god in our union with christ it allows it to rise up to the surface and to manifest so centering prayer is a posture of our heart that allows us to manifest what's already true inside of us because uh in christ there is this union with god and and so um is the gospel therapeutic? I, I hear people all the time saying, oh, well, that's a therapeutic gospel. Um, and I think I know what they mean by that. But man, if the gospel isn't therapeutic, <laughs> if it's not healing, if it's not transformative, if it's, if it's not practically helpful, uh, then why did Jesus die on the cross? Mm. Uh, well said. Yeah, uh, result, uh, uh uses the the idea of upgrading your operating system that we're all born with this binary operating system the uh, you know the the dualistic mind that you know wants to understands everything through comparison preference voting it up or down putting it in a category and that somehow what we're doing in a contemplative practice is we are where we are um, transcending that dualistic mind into a place where into again to go back to that uh, phrase unitive consciousness where where everything belongs, every everything does have place, meaning, purpose, uh, design, and beauty. I love all that, and, and, and tying that thought back into the idea of how centering prayer has a therapeutic aspect to it. Um, with addictions, with anxiety, with uh, struggles where we tend to get our mind or our heart or our passions and thoughts caught on something and can't get away, I think that's where it's particularly helpful. Uh, I refer a lot to Martin Laird's book, Into the Silent Land, and in that book he gives three case studies. Uh, there's a man in uh, jail who is experiencing hopelessness and does centering prayer. There is uh, uh, a nun who has uh, disabling chronic anxiety. And then I think there was someone with uh, depression, that all Mm. three of them were caught in these places. And uh, the stories are really hopeful, where it wasn't about, oh, I'm sorry, the, the third person lived with chronic pain. And it was fascinating because it wasn't that the pain went away, but through centering prayer, she was able to step back and to observe her pain and um, what she was experiencing as something in her body and not her actual being. Hmm. And that sounds like semantics, but the, uh, the, the, the analogy that Father Laird used was the difference between the mountain and the weather around the hmm. mountain. 
Um, and so he was referring to Mount Zion, which is the biblical representation for the place of God. And so our core being, our true self, is united in Christ, that we might think of that as the inmost being that the Old Testament and the New Testament refers to. But uh, that, that that core of us is the mountain. It's immovable. It's foundational. It is put in place and fixed. But at any given time, think of Mount Everest. You know, there's weather systems around where people have spent a half million dollars, and, you know, they're, they're three-quarters of the way up, and they can't get to the top because the weather is so bad, and they have to return. And, um, you know, here in Colorado, yesterday it was 55 degrees and sunny, and I look out my window and I can see the foothills. Today it is spitting snow and 30 degrees, and I literally can't see the mountains. And so our anxiety, our compulsions, our feelings, our depression, our hopefulness, our hopelessness, that's the weather system that's there. And we can distinguish between the weather and the mountain. And the mountain is that that union with God that we don't have to work toward but is there and we can drop into it. Yeah, well said. So related to that, a uh, quote from Dallas Willard, if addictions, compulsions, and anxieties are things that we get attached to and hooked onto, he said, and I forget what writing it was, he said that stillness and silence are the only things that will allow us to detach. And so it's so counterintuitive, right? Because some people, they may clinically be in a place where if they're still and they feel their feelings in their body, it will overwhelm them and it will make that worse. But as you can get into that space, it will actually allow you to detach from those things that are somehow keeping you hooked. Um, the last thing I want to say in terms of a benefit, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You've alluded to it a little bit already, but that um, we, we discover our true self. We discover that deepest, inmost, real part of who we are in Centering Prayer mm-hmm. uh, because we see that it's that that God gazes on with affection and delight and love, not the person that we should be, not the person that we will be, uh, but the person who we actually are at that moment. So if I am, as we said, we did five minutes of centering prayer before the episode, if my mind is whirling and whirling and I'm getting distracted and 10 times in five minutes I have to come back to God, that's the person that God loves. Mm. Uh, when you When you spoke in an earlier episode about how somebody said that you were angry and controlling. That's the person that God loves. Not the person that, well, I forgive you, and when you don't do those things, you'll be a better person. Um, that that the acceptance, the non-judgmental acceptance, the compassion, the kindness that God has for us allows us to be kind and compassionate with ourselves, which again allows that true self to just rise up and begin to overflow. Yeah, and 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 I would, I, I I agree. I would simply say too, where you know where else, but in some practice of silence and solitude, can you even begin to glimpse your true self? You know, I heard I heard a beautiful um, uh, description of the false self as this summer as the constructed self. It's not a. It's not your bad self. It's this self-constructed person. Uh, I'm a sales manager. I'm a. You know. I, I. Here's where I live. Here's my house. Here's the car I drive. Here's the. Here's my. Here's my background. Here's my education. Here's my gifts. You know. Here's. Uh, to somehow know that those things aren't bad things. They're just not. When I die, they're going to die. There's a part of me that will not die when I die. That truth, and that's my true self. And um, con- 
a contemplative practice is an opportunity to begin to glimpse. And as we encounter God, we somehow in, encounter that true self. The true self loves the false self. <laughs> the true self loves the constructed self. It's just because it has no illusion about uh, uh, what it is. Um, so, you know, again, if you've spent decades just wrapping yourself around that constructed self, it, it's, uh, it, it is so refreshing to 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 glimpse and to believe that that there's a part of us that is eternal, immortal, um, and uh, you know that uh, is made in the image and likeness of God. Hey, we need to wrap up, but our buddy Ian Cron has said something or written something um, that I, I think is a great summary of this conversation, and he said that it's in silence and solitude that we're most likely to bump into God and ourself. Mm. And um, I, I think that is so true because it's it's Christ within. I am the temple. You are the temple. We don't look for God out there or up there, but within. But we're not going to be aware of that. We're not going to be able to be present to presence uh, unless we slow down, unless we're still, unless we're quiet. And it's there that I think part of our story, both of us, is that we've experienced counterintuitively that uh, that that less is more and that the life that we are created for and that our hearts long for just begin to emerge and spring up in that kind of unexpected way. So uh, this will sound a little pedantic uh, and maybe grandfatherly, but make some time to do nothing in the presence of God. I want to encourage you, if you've listened to uh, this episode and the last to take 20 minutes and intentionally fail just being present to God and and trust and believe that you intentionally failing in his presence brings him more delight than if you had somehow succeeded at some kind of command or law, but it didn't come from a place of joy and rest and freedom. And so, uh, Peter... Thanks for your wisdom and experience from real life on both of these episodes. we got to get you back in the studio. Great being here. Thank you, Michael. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.